0: To be free, Lord, Lord, to be free. Um, <clears throat> last week I mentioned that, uh, oh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with me, um, communicate anything to me, just go to my website, uh, faderfiles, Fader dot com, faderfiles.com, and you can get in touch with me that way. Also, you can join my mailing list if you wish to. There are other things on my website. I take uh, photos often, and uh, some of them are good. Some of them are even very good. And I write poetry, which I'm sure is of interest to the, the, the vast <laughs> majority of you. But uh, some of them are good poems. So if you like poetry, all of that stuff's on the website, faderfiles.com. Last week I mentioned that um, <clears throat> there's a new feature here. Uh, there's a new feature every second in the world, but here's a new feature at um, PRN at our radio station here, and it's called podcast listening by phone. And um, you can listen to the podcast of the la- of my last five shows or anybody's last five shows. You can listen to the podcast um, um, by uh, using your telephone. Uh, you can listen to the past five programs over the phone rather than on the archives via PRN, if that's the way you're used to listening to them. Uh, and last week, uh, somebody, a listener corrected me. You don't need uh, a smartphone to do this. I say that because I have such a dumb phone. I figure everybody needs a smartphone to do everything. But, in fact, you could just use any phone at all. You can use your regular home phone, landline, whatever. And the phone number is you may want to get a writing implement or you may want to type this in. It's a new world. I don't know how that works. I I never sent a text in my life. And is that a uh, is that a bragging of stupidity? Probably it is. Of backwardness, I don't know. It's hard for old guys to keep up with new stuff like this. Anyhow, I know I have not yet ever texted and I haven't received a text. But that may change. My uh, phone is so old. It's actually an antique. It's so old that um, It's going out of uh, business, going out of service, rather. The phone is being withdrawn from use. It's a, whatever this means, it's a 2G phone, which means, I guess, that you can't ever get anybody on it anywhere, (laughs) or hardly. You have to be standing right next to them. So it's being taken out of circulation and be replaced by a more modern phone, although it's not a smartphone. I don't think it is. It's just a flip phone. And um, then... uh, I should be able to be, um, so anyhow, I'll be forced. I'll be dragged into the uh, modern world, at least a tiny bit. Anyhow, any phone, you can listen to the past five programs, uh, past five archive programs over the phone rather than use the archives on PRN. And the phone number for this program, for my program, is one 719 9984. 719 9984. So, have we seen? No, we haven't seen the last of Trump. Um, when I thought, just when, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, when, when I thought I saw the last of Trump, of course, I don't have to watch Trump. Nobody is making me watch these debates, although I like, you know, like a lot of people, I'm morbidly fascinated by watching the two of them go at it. Um, Although this time around, uh, on this debate, as you noticed, if you were watching, uh, not even that carefully, somebody um, – was it the other day that Trump said there should be a drug test <laughs> for the candidates? There are drug tests for athletes. There should be a drug test for the candidates. And the reason he was saying that was because he felt that Mrs. Clinton is uh, sick and uh, she's exhausted and that she probably this – is, this is what his intimation is. He never says anything directly or hardly anything directly, but his intimation was that she was sick or ill and that she was getting, um, I don't know, you know, know, some kind of stimulant, some kind of um, off-the-market stimulant or on-the-market stimulant to uh, stand up and to perform. Who knows, right? I mean, who, who wouldn't be worn out campaigning like that all the time, especially when you're old, when you're 68 years old? And who wouldn't get worn out having to deal with Donald Trump all the time? That's what Donald Trump does. He doesn't seem to get worn out himself, although he looked a little tired the other night, finally. He doesn't get worn out himself. He's one of those people who actually wears other people out. There are two kinds of people in this world. No, uh, more than two kinds. But um, there are often two kinds of people um, when it comes to at least some overlap, uh, if you figure that in. There are people who make trouble for other people or wear other people out, and there are other people who get worn out and have the trouble made for them. (laughs) And that's very complicated, of course, but uh, we all know people in our lives that are troublesome, that are hard to deal with. People who uh, you never know what you're going to say is going to set off a landmine or something like that. Trump is that kind of guy. He's a kind of a cab driver mentality. A cab driver personality. He just switches lanes, does whatever he wants, steps on the gas, stops short, whatever he needs to do to get where he's going. And anything that happens around him or behind him, screeching tires, screeching brakes, smashing metal, doesn't make any difference to him. He's uh, a human wrecker is what he is. Anyhow, he even he looked tired, though, the other day. So he suggested that uh, Hillary Clinton... Not that he wasn't serious, but how serious is he ever? I don't know. He's he's serious enough, uh, serious like a disease. But he suggested the other night that um, at a campaign rally, I think, before the the actual debate began, Uh, I think it was that afternoon or the evening before, he suggested that Hillary Clinton, that both candidates have a drug test. I guess all I'd find in him is... uh, is uh, the remnants of all that grease from all the um, fast food he eats. This stuff never uh, catches up with this guy. I mean, it's really quite an amazing character. His narcissism, yeah, I guess I am fascinated by him. To the extent that he is, A, a presidential candidate and causing all kinds of almost unprecedented trouble, and B, he's just... um, one of those people in the world who uh, sometimes you can't uh, pull your eyes away from. Although I know people who find it very easy to ignore him. There are, I know people who don't even watch the debate anymore or watch any debate, uh, even though it's uh, supposed to be so important. They won't watch the debate as long as he's standing there. Uh, even people, I know people feel that way about Clinton, too. Meanwhile, <coughs> he intimated there should be a drug test. And I'm sure he I'm sure he was sure that uh, if he was actually serious, that it would discover that she was taking some kind of stimulant, like speed, you know, to just prop herself up. And believe me, the two of them do look exhausted. You could see near the end of the debate, uh, especially all that pounding and that craziness he was giving her, especially this time around though, there wasn't as much trouble for him. Um, but still all this all this stuff that he has to deal with, that she has to deal with with this guy and traveling around all over the place and eating all this junk and meeting people and uh, making speeches. Uh, And he was talking about the fact that before each debate, before each of the last two debates at least, and um, this one included, she felt the need for a rest, obviously. She didn't really need that much debate prep since she knows how to debate already. She's a you know, uh, a lawyer, and uh, she has a legal mind, so she knows how to play chess verbally. And she um, didn't really need to uh, to prepare because she already uh, knows so much about policy issues. But, uh, you know, he suggests... But she was obviously resting. And uh, so what? Big deal. I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? Meanwhile... Um, he was better this time around. I mean, I think you have to acknowledge if you're watching it that uh, the man interrupted less. He, except uh, at the very end when he said that, out of the blue, from out of uh, outer space, comment: "What a nasty woman! Where she's such a nasty woman!" <laughs> oh man. Again, it's projection. not that he's projecting that he's a woman or who the, although who knows what you know what goes on in his uh, strange mind. But the nastiness, I mean he feels that she wasn't even being nasty at the moment. mean she could be nasty, right? But she wasn't even being nasty at the moment. She was just being herself. And um, uh, some people I guess think that is nasty, but she was she wasn't really particularly saying anything about him at the moment. She was talking about, I don't know what it was, I think Social Security or Medicare or what's called entitlements, although I don't think of them as entitlements so much as um, rights that were guaranteed because of the money and the hard work we put in most of us as citizens in this country. I don't like that word, entitlement. But she was talking about that. She was talking about Medicare or something like that, and he... um, yeah, out of the blue, it's near the end of the debate. I felt he I think he felt because it was near the end of the debate. Something compels him, and it has nothing to do with his intellect or his reason, what there is of it or how it's constructed. I mean, he's not a stupid person. Something compels him near the end of the debate to say something like that. And I think it's uh, a way it's 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 constructed this way. He has an emotional feeling that, uh, why, am I, why am I going on about Trump? You don't have to listen. It's all right. I understand if you're disgusted with him and um, you don't want to listen to anything else about him. But you won't have to listen to him about him, listen to him, about him too long, I don't think. It's not going to be around that long. But I can understand if you're sick of hearing about him and if you don't understand my, uh, my fascination with him. Uh, although I think it's shared by a lot of other people. For the various reasons I've mentioned from time to time, I think he um, <clears throat> instinctively senses when the debate is about to uh, come to an end, when he's about to have his time in front of people, when he's about to have his uh, his public persona. You know, where I mean, the man is right in assuming that tens of millions. Tens of millions of people are watching him, and he knows that's coming to an end. He can look at the clock. He can look at his watch. He can see that's coming to an end. So he, something in him which is either self-destructive or self-referential, no matter what it is, is compelled to say. <clears throat> is compelled to say uh, something outrageous, something absolutely outrageous. And of course, he did end up with. Um, this is something I'm sure he planned. Uh, but he couldn't have planned it um, as perfectly as it worked out. The moderator, who did a better job, although he couldn't keep Trump from having the last word all the time, Chris Wallace did a better job, I think, than the other moderators did. Um, he, um, you know, he uh, he tried to keep Trump from having the last word in every exchange. He tried to keep Trump from interrupting as much, although Trump was uh, on his own on interrupting so much. But at the end, of course, uh, and, and so what Chris Wallace was doing was, con- was answering his questions uh, six, I think it was six major questions. One was immigration, and the other one was uh, international hotspots, that kind of thing. And at the very end, or near the end at least, he asked Trump, Will you support, um, you know, if you were to lose? Uh, You know, they asked both of uh, Did they ask both of these candidates? No, I think it was Trump Uh, Yeah, it probably was just Trump But correct me if I'm wrong He asked Trump uh, If you were to lose Would you concede? Would you acknowledge that uh, The election was won by your opponent? And of course he has famously said um, He said uh, uh, I'll have to tell you later I'll let you know. It'll be... Uh, I'll keep you in suspense. And the next day, he said... Uh, and, and you know when he says that, and he knows, actually, when he says that at the very end of the debate, at the end of, the, uh, time of his time on the air, uh, you know that he's going to... Uh, <clears throat> he's going to be the head of the news cycle the next morning, that all the headlines will be about him. He realizes that. He sees it. And... Um, he hears that all these and he knows that if he says this, everything is going to be about him, and of course everything was about him and of course it's a it's outrageous what he's doing and does he have any idea? I think he thinks that all these people that he's <clears throat> that he's stirring up all the time that all these people that he's um that he's got in his corner that are rabidly um um Rapidly devoted to him, hopelessly devoted to him. They, uh, he knows that he's got all these millions and millions and millions of people, and he knows generally what kinds of people they are. I think he knows. The extent of what he knows, he's the kind of person whose radar doesn't go very far off his own, uh, off his own immediate territory. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, uh, bats use, uh, what is it, sonar. They send a sound out uh, in a dark cave, or they send sounds out when they can't see very well. I don't think bats can see very well. Blind is a bat, right? Blind is a bat. Bats can't see very well at all. So um, also used in reference to uh, major league umpires. Blind is a bat. Uh, So they can't see very well. So they use sonar. They send out... um, uh, auditory signals. They send out auditory signals, and the signals bounce back, bounce back to them, and it's a kind of sonar. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if that's the exact same process, but uh, if they want to know where the side of a cave is, it's dark in there, and they're flying, they send out a sound, and it bounces off, and they get, a, they get an idea where the solid surface is of something so they can avoid it. Trump has a kind of sonar uh, that reflects back on him, where he can tell uh, whether or not he's making an impression on people uh, and what his effect on people is. But I think it's faulty because I think he doesn't really understand the actual effect that he has on other people. Uh, He knows that he can stir people up. He knows what's going to appeal to people um, in a kind of a violent or turgid or, or turbulent way. But does he actually know what the con- what the real consequences of his behavior and his words are? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's where he's uh, where his uh, sonar, where his uh, and his radar, where he um, he can tell what's coming in. You know, so I think really what he does is the technique is that he sends out things and waits for a response to see what th- what he can send out again. And that's how he builds up this kind of persona he has, where he can stir people up in, um, in almost kind of a genius way. But what he doesn't have is radar. He can't really tell what other people are feeling or thinking. I think he's uh, extremely deficient in this way and um, maybe even lacking entirely. So... Um, uh so this this is a lot of times what uh, what is happening is that he's stirring people up because he knows how to stir people up, but he has no idea what the effect of it is. He has no idea what the effect of it is and we thought we saw the last of him uh when uh when the debate was over, and my wife was saying, Thank God I never have to look at this guy again i could re- I could read about him in the paper and I could hear about him on TV news shows if we watch them sometimes, although I find it very, very difficult to watch most of MSNBC. They are um, their personalities are very difficult for me to digest. Um, Chris Matthews and Rachel Maddow drive me crazy. They're like, uh, and all the people on this station, um, is it too much coffee? Is it uh, too much electricity pumping into them all the time from all the devices? Are they jamming in too many guests at one time? Is it too many commercials? Well, there's definitely too many commercials. They're left very little time to actually have any kind of in-depth interview with anybody at all. And Chris Matthews constantly interrupts everybody. He doesn't really need guests. I don't know why he even bothers with guests. Because he asks questions and he answers them himself or interrupts about 20 seconds after the answer is on its way. But uh, so my wife was thinking, and Rachel Maddow, she's drives me crazy. I mean, she just um, has a style which I find really obnoxious. (laughs) And she repeats herself. Also, she talks too fast sometimes, too. And the guy in the middle, Chris Hayes, Lawrence O'Donnell I like. He seems more old-fashioned. He slows down. If he has a guest, he actually listens to the guest, although Richard Maddow does, too. Um, But I find MSNBC difficult to watch. I like watching C-SPAN. C-SPAN is more calm and more personal. And, of course, C-SPAN takes uh, the listeners into account all the time. C-SPAN will take calls from listeners before uh, the debate. They took calls from listeners and after the debate. They took calls from listeners, which I like coming from uh, listener-sponsored BAI, from listener radio, and from radio, unfortunately, uh, because of the way things have worked out, I can't take calls on this show right now. Uh, because it's a recorded show. But uh, if I were doing a show live, which I say for various reasons I'm not able to do, at least for the moment, um, I would be gladly taking calls. Um, I'd love to hear from listeners. Sometimes I get, uh, I mean, I spent uh, 30-something, 33 years on the air uh, taking calls from listeners, taking tens of thousands of calls, I suppose, if I added them all up. And, um, yeah, I like to hear from listeners. So I'm used to that, and I'm used to a radio station like BAI, uh, used to be. I I haven't listened to BAI except for a couple of programs in many, many, many years. So I don't know if it's still the same way, although I imagine that uh, they still have people calling up, that they involve the listeners more than almost any place else. Although regular talk radio will involve listeners sometimes. I know that was, I I was doing that on Sirius, on satellite radio. Um, so there we have it. So my wife says, okay, I'm done with the debate. I don't ever have to watch him again. So we tune in less. Now we try, we figure we try New York one, which is, uh, a, a local news station and a pretty good, uh, television station, a local, uh, news station owned by Time Warner. And, um, they are very good, extremely good station, but all of a sudden there they are presenting the Al Smith dinner and you know about the Al Smith dinner, right? It was, um, Started in 1945 after uh, uh governor, famous governor of New York, Al Smith, um, died, and before that, he had been even more famously. I forget, it was I think it was 1928, 19, 1924, 1928. He ran for president on the Democratic ticket, the first uh Catholic to ever run for president on the Democratic ticket, and I think. The last one until JFK, uh, after the last one after that until JFK ran. And Al Smith was a real, he was a real profound New Yorker, a real Irish Catholic New Yorker. He had this thick accent and um, he had this real Irish face and he was a, a real Irish, Irish kind of guy. Whether he's religious enough, I don't know. But anyhow, after he died, Uh, some other people and people in his family established something called the Al Smith Dinner, the Al Smith Dinner, which occurs right at the time. uh, Now, is this every—I forget if it's every year. I should be more knowledgeable about those things. But every year, uh, or it could be every four years during presidential races, but um, the Al Smith Dinner occurs right around the time of the debate. Sometimes, I suppose, it's after a debate. Sometimes it's before a debate. But uh, at the Al Smith dinner, the two candidates, at least whatever else goes on, celebrating the life of Al Smith and the bigotry that Irish Catholics had to put up with in this country, uh, the two candidates get up and they supposedly they make jokes. It's like the White House. uh, What is that? The White House reporters, uh, you know, dinner that that famous dinner where the president and other people. Uh, Where the president gets up and he has to take some ribbing from the the hosts, uh, usually it's some comedian or uh, host of a late night TV show. And everybody has to put up with some um, very, sometimes very severe poking. Uh, The last one, the White House Correspondents Dinner, I think it is, the last one, Donald Trump got poked so hard that either, I forget, either he walked out or he looked or he said something really awful and he had this awful look on his face. I mean, Obviously, the man cannot take a joke. I mean, what we're dealing with here is an outrageous case, maybe a kind of a world-famous case, an Olympic uh, medal-winning case of narcissism, which is simply that he thinks inside, that he thinks so little of himself, that he has such a terrible self-image inside that he has swollen himself up to cover that up and he's swollen himself up, not just physically, but uh, emotionally and uh, temperamentally. He's swollen himself up to protect, basically to protect himself, to protect that tender little um, flawed little um, creature inside that, that has this terrible self-image. And that's what, uh, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. So there are some people, you can imagine, who just absolutely cannot take a joke. They can't take a joke because they themselves are already afraid that they are a joke, that they're, that, that, that they're going to be laughed at all the time. I don't know if in his life Trump was laughed at. I mean, he was probably big enough and loud enough to get away with bullying people always. Um, <clears throat> so it would have been difficult to ridicule him. One of the reasons he was having so, with so much trouble with Hillary Clinton was that, she was, that she's steely that she does not have, as far as I can tell, uh, anything like uh, the narcissism that Trump has. She has a very robust <laughs> and a very strong self-image, um, much the way her husband does, but maybe even stronger than that. And she's dealing with Trump, and here I am. Am I feeling sorry for Trump? I don't know. But she's dealing with a guy who has a very, 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 very bad self-image, who's a very tiny little ego. And... Um, As she pointed out the other night on stage when she was talking about the various uh, women that he had to insult all the time, and he said, women are familiar with that. Women are familiar with this kind of thing uh, from men who insult them just to make themselves bigger. Or did she say actually about him that that makes him feel bigger? That's what he does. He just picks on people who he perceives as weaker than him or people he can manipulate. And it's not just women. It's probably a lot of people around him. You notice that many people start to work with him and uh, drop out or quit or leave. They can't stand working with him because he's probably uh, always having to be in a position of control. And uh, he may do it in an insulting way. I don't really know. Anyhow, they show up at the Al Smith dinner, and they're supposed to insult each other in a kind of a a, a tough but genial way, right? After all, all these people are there, and um, it's an Irish, uh, it's a it's a um, it's a Catholic tra- uh, uh, charity. So that's what the dinner is for: to raise money for Catholic charity, and it's presided over by the Archdiocese of New York. Uh, that's who controls it, really, along with the family that runs uh, Al Smith's family that's still, and people who are on the board of this thing, they run this thing. So here's the two of them insulting each other and making jokes about each other. And some of them were funny and some of them weren't. But really, uh, as Trump got into it and he was making jokes about Hillary Clinton, he's supposed to make a joke about yourself too, or a couple of self-deprecating jokes. Uh, I didn't hear the whole thing. We just tuned in and out. And my wife is saying, oh no, I'm I'm, I'm seeing him again. Because we had just tuned in to New York One to catch, you know, uh, some opinions and some news and maybe some calls from their viewers. And all of a sudden, bang, they're televising the uh, Al Smith dinner, and this is what we're watching. But uh, Trump really did, at the end, uh, you know, just be, just turn completely vicious and insulting, and he was booed. Apparently, it's the first time he's ever been booed. Um, the first time not he, he's ever been booed, but the first time somebody's been booed at the Al Smith dinner. Um. Now, the whole idea of Trump using all these awful words, you know, the uh, the tape that came out, I'm going to, I can just grab her by the pussy or grab her pussy, Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I tried to fuck her, but I couldn't, all this stuff, I'm quoting Trump's uh, tape, right? Um, Of course, I've never used any words like that in my life. Actually, uh, some of those words never really have, I never have used some of the words he used, but... uh, some of the ones that uh, he used, yes, uh, men and women I know uh, most of my life, a lot of them have used those words. And uh, what, what's interesting about this to me is that <clears throat> there are almost two kinds of people. There are almost two separate countries here that we live in. One is a country that is proceeding with a kind of uh, natural sort of cultural and sociological evolution to become really more tolerant. And, of course, this can be taken too far and becomes a kind of crazy political correctness uh, which uh, which uh, twists language and does all kinds of weird things in the language and twists cultural re- uh, relationships uh, and um, can impose kind of uh, almost um, censorship restrictions on people, this kind of um, uh, social engineering and social policing and um, – this kind of political correctness. So you got Trump on one hand, who represents the people who just want to let it all. They want to be able to say whatever they want to anybody. You know. Uh, so here's here's my qualifications. If so you don't want to hear these words, but yeah, that nigger, that spick, that kike, that this, that this, the other one. You know. Um, uh, you uh, you know you, you said yeah that faggot that bitch. You know the people who just want to talk like that. And actually would even like to talk that way in uh, not just in private, not just in the locker room, but like to talk that way in public, too. And maybe sometimes they do talk that way in public. So you've got all these people. um, Hillary Clinton should never have called them half. Half his people are a basket of deplorables. But, um, uh, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton um, did say that. And. uh, so what you've got on one hand is the Clinton pe- – you've got, you got the Trump people who, uh, who, are, you know, who are like out of control, want to be able to say and do whatever they want. You've got Trump who seems to be out of control, wants to say and do whatever he wants and almost goes to a lot of trouble to insult people or to hurt people to use certain language and uh, certain kinds of uh, threats that in another part of the country, in another part of our whole evolving society, especially on college campuses, people are going in the other in the other direction. And that's something I wanted to talk about coming up. And once again, this is Mike Fader. Um, if you are listening on um, on a download, which I know a lot of you are, uh, I wanted to remind you again that uh, you can listen by phone. If it's more <clears throat> convenient for you or if it's the way you like to listen to things these days, with by phone with something with your... Headphones in, if you, I guess, if you have a smartphone, but you can listen on any phone. To um, uh, one of my listeners said that her mother listens on a regular landline, uh, she doesn't have a smartphone. You want to listen to the last five programs of this program or any program on this station, uh, you can hear the past five programs, the most recent one and four before that, um, on the phone. And the phone number for this program is one seven zero one. 719 um, 9984 so here's trump and here's uh, a lot of the people who he represents who are using these words all the time and who are um, who are <coughs> sorry who are who are uh, putting themselves in positions where they are threatening people where they are where they uh, are, you know, going along with his uh, talking about, um, you know, uh, all Muslims are this and uh, all um, all Mexicans are this way and all Latinos are that way and all blacks are this way. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, we got some really weird global warming weather. That's something I feel bad about that didn't come up on the debate uh, or any of the debates in any sort of meaningful way is global warming, because in New York City right now, and I'm sure you've experienced every, different versions of this wherever you are in uh, the country or in the world, but in New York City we've had um, very, very bizarre weather for the end of October. It was 85 degrees two days in a row, and um, it is now still up in the 70s, which is very unusual, calling all kind of, causing all kinds of uh, weird weather that we usually don't see this time of the year including uh, a real downpour that uh, soaked a lot of us who showed up at the radio station here this morning. Um, So that's on one side is Trump and um, all his followers who who are classifying people in large groups and who are saying that these people uh, are, yeah, all Muslims are this way or all black people are that way. Okay, here I'm taking pity on myself, I'm, um, and on you, especially on you, with all this uh, throat trouble I always have. I should go get a throatectomy. There are things that can be done, actually. I went to some clinic, um, so what am I doing now? I'm sucking on a slippery elm, slippery elm which is uh, tastes like something from the bottom of your shoe that you would pick up on the street, but is extremely good, hopefully, for your throat. So, um, yeah, there is something you can do. I can could, I could have some sort of operation on my throat, but uh, I've, I think I've had enough uh, surgery to last me the rest of my life. Whatever, whatever happens to me next or whatever is happening to me now, no more surgery, no more reaching in or cutting in or slicing up. That's it. I would just go out in my usual ungraceful manner without, um, without having to endure all that stuff again. Anyhow. On the other side of the um, <clears throat> of the Trump people, of the basket of deplorables, <laughs> maybe you are one of them, right? Am I insulting you? I know there's people who li- who there are people who write to me from my mailing list and people who listen to me who um, who support Trump, who are sub- who, and, but it seems to be the people who support Trump seem to be people who um, hate Clinton even more, and God knows there are reasons to really hate clinton when trump says that with all her experience she's had a lot of bad experience and she has a lot of bad connections so there are people who hate her but in the end i'm saying uh if you're living in any place it's a close vote do not vote for a third party candidate vote your heart yes vote your heart you want to vote for a third party candidate do it but um don't take the risk. If you live in an extremely close state or a close county or a close electoral district, um, please don't vote for a third-party candidate. <clears throat> um, vote, for, uh, vote for Hillary Clinton, As much as I hate to say that, and I'm going to be doing it myself uh, if I discover. But I've already discovered that where I live, uh, I might have the luxury of voting for Jill Stein Uh, who I would vote for if I felt that I could get away with it. it wouldn't be any trouble with uh, Trump being elected. (coughs) So meanwhile, on the other side of Trump, there's a whole cultural development going on in this country. And a lot of it, like a lot of cultural developments, um, is centered on college campuses. And what they're doing is they're hiring college campuses all over the country because of uh, so many cases of bullying and... um, and uh, racial epithets that have been um, uttered by people and, um, and all kinds of material that has been deemed, um, in most cases, quite righteously um, hurtful to a minority group. Uh, all of this stuff is uh, going to be addressed now by hiring very well-paid diversity directors, directors and, and coordinators of diversity. And I call them diversity officers. And here's uh, an article. I'll try not to read too much of it, but uh, so an article that was in the uh, the New York Times. <clears throat> Campus cautiously trained. Campuses cautiously trained freshmen against subtle insults. Uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. A freshman tentatively raises her hand and takes the microphone. I'm really scared to ask this. She says. She begins. When I, as a white female, listen to music that uses the N word, I'm in and I'm in the car, or especially when I'm with all white friends, is it okay to sing along? The answer from Sherry Marlowe, the new chief diversity officer at Clark University, is an unequivocal no. <laughs> uh, the exchange was included in Miss Marlowe's presentation to recently arriving first-year students focusing on subtle microaggressions. These things are called microaggressions, part of a new campus vocabulary that also includes safe spaces and trigger warnings. And um, what, are, what are these things, microaggressions? Microaggressions, uh, said Ms. Marlowe, are comments, snubs, or insults that communicate derogatory or negative messages that might not be intended to cause harm but are targeted at people based on their membership in a marginalized group. Um, Among her other tips are don't ask an Asian student you don't know for help on your math homework (laughs) or randomly ask a black student if he plays basketball. Now, who would be stupid and thick enough to do that? Maybe Donald Trump and a lot of the people, and I'm making tremendous generalizations here, so I'm in a way doing... What, uh, what I'm not supposed to be doing according to uh, talking about... Um, now, these aren't marginalized groups, but Trump's group is not a marginalized group. But I am talking about one target-specific group, and I shouldn't be doing it. And yet I am. Um, okay, so you don't randomly ask a black student if he plays basketball. Well, you'd have to be pretty thick to do that and ask an Asian student if he'd help you with your math homework or she would help you with her math homework Maybe you could get away with that um, if you knew them pretty well and you knew they were good at math. Or maybe if you're Asian yourself and you want to ask somebody who's your friend. Also, don't say things like, you guys, which always pissed me off when I hear, come on, you guys, you guys, a lot of people, uh, a lot of teachers use that with their kids. And I always thought, I don't know when that started, like 20 years ago. You guys, you guys, women must feel, girls must always feel weird when they hear that. You guys, girls and women aren't guys. I never like that phrase, you guys. Come on, you guys, straighten up. You guys, you know, calm down. No. How about just people? Or come on, kids, calm down. Kids, they are kids, right? You don't say you guys. It could be interpreted as leaving out women. Um, and uh, Clark is uh, where she works. This uh, woman, Sherry Marlowe, as the chief diversity officer, Clark is a private liberal arts college that has a long, that has long prided itself on diversity and inclusion, is far from the only university stepping up these discussions of racism and diversity in orientation programs this year, and um, so um, <clears throat> there are other colleges. There are many colleges and universities all over the country because of um, because of uh, bullying that had taken place, and because of. Uh, a lot of uh, black students, mostly, but other students, uh, Asian students, and especially gay students, got sick and tired of hearing all these remarks and hearing all these um, and being relegated to a marginalized group and insulted or treated even by by well-meaning people in a way which stereotypes them. They just got tired of it. And this is the way things go. And although it's It's so politically correct that it's irritating, and it's almost like censorship. This is the way progress gets made in culture. What will happen is that after a while, people will not use these words anymore. Um, People will just grow up, especially people who go to college, and maybe this will filter down to high school and to general society. People will just grow up not using these words, not isolating people like this so much anymore. And not, uh, not uh, you know, just casting them in some sort of stereotype. And um, here, here's a, a sampling of language and behavior called microaggressions that, um, that, pr- that is provided to Clark University students and other students, too, in different places. It's a handbook. And um, <clears throat> universities are urging students to avoid things like, uh, this is a quote, Of course he'll get tenure, even though he hasn't published much. He's black. What are you? You look so interesting looking. (laughs) What are you? You are so interesting looking. Telling a non-white woman, I would have never have guessed that you were a scientist. When a non-white faculty member is mistaken for a service worker, that's a microaggression. It's a macroaggression in a way. Showing surprise when a quote-unquote feminine woman says she is a lesbian. And of course, the uh, the infamous and stupid. You are a credit to your race. <laughs> who on earth says that stuff anymore? Do people say these things? I guess. I guess teachers might say these things. Maybe this is a handbook for teachers. I don't know. But most people, I think, who are in there, oh, somewhere between eighteen and twenty-one, are they still doing that? Are they still doing that? I don't know. Anyhow, um, um, the article goes on to say. Once devoted to ice cream socials, tutorials on campus, technology systems and advice on choosing classes, orientation for new students is changing significantly. with the issue taking, uh, with, with, with the issue taking on renewed urgency this year as universities increasingly try to address r- recent racial and ethnic tensions on campuses, as well as an onslaught of sexual assault complaints. Talk about Trump. So here's Trump. You know, going completely, and his people going completely in the opposite direction. Really, we are headed for like a civil war in this country. There's always been uh, tension between what's called town and gown, between uh, universities and colleges and and um, and communities, especially where they are near cities, and between workers who are not at the um, who are not in the university life. And there's always been tension between the two, and sometimes it bursts out into uh, violence or Usually, violence against the people in the colleges, but um, uh, apparently, it's still going on. And so, these colleges had to develop all this, um, develop all this diversity training. Um, let's see. In addition to diversity sessions, many campuses think of Trump and think of what the stuff is uh, that he's portraying as no big deal, as locker room talk, as uh, if in fact he did all this behavior, and a lot of women think he did. That it's no big deal, that's no problem at all. In addition to diversity sessions, many campuses train students on exactly what constitutes sexual consent, as well as how to intervene when they see fellow students drinking excessively or poised to engage in non-consensual sexual behavior. Fresh on the minds of university, I'll skip ahead a little bit, fresh on the minds of university officials. Or last year's highly publicized episodes involving racist taunts at the University of Missouri. So there are people who are, uh, I mean, there's overlaps everywhere. There are people who are filtering in from the Trump side who, are, um, who go to universities. And a lot of these people are classically, talk about locker room talk, or fraternity guys and uh, sports guys, you know, the football guys, the fraternity guys, the basketball guys, you know, the, who knows. Um, uh, the stuff that happened in the University of Missouri was uh, apparently very um, very um, um, severe, and it led to a precipitous decline in enrollment there this fall. That is 2016. 2016. <clears throat> uh, that kind of behavior and that kind of talk closes your doors, said Archie Irvin, the vice president for institute of Diversity, for Institute Diversity at Georgia Institute of Technology and president of the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education. If you have sustained enrollment drops and disproportionately full-paying students, such as out-of-state students, the state legislature can't make up the gap. In other words, it's for the bottom line, too. Um, At the University of uh, Wisconsin in Madison, officials have put together a diversity uh, presentation as a pilot program this year for 1,000 freshmen. And the program is expected to cost 150 to $200,000 because uh, last year on the campus, there were some incidents, uh, one of which was a racist note slipped under a black student's door. Um, the, um, and so on and on and on. But uh, so there are budget requests going into all the state legislatures from state universities uh, asking for hundreds of thousands and in some cases millions of dollars for diversity training. Um, but that budget has provoked controversy. Quote, if only the taxpayers and tuition-paying families had a safe space that might protect them from the wasteful UW system, University of Wisconsin system, spending on political um, political diversity training, political correctness, said uh, State Senator Stephen L. Nass, a Republican. Mr. Nass's objection to spending money on diversity training reflects a, re- a rising to re- a resistance to what is considered... Campus political correctness. You can go too far with anything. Trump and his people go too far in one direction. And uh, this diversity training can go too far in another direction. At some universities, alumni and students have objected to a variety of campus measures, including diversity training, safe spaces, places where students from marginalized groups can gather to discuss their experiences, although that doesn't seem so bad to me. They used to be called clubs, right? The gay club, the Democratic club, um, you know the um, the fraternities have their own tables in the cafeteria, and um, why not uh, have a, you know a, a a gay house, a gay club? I don't understand a gay table. What's the problem with that? Safe spaces and trigger warnings, something called trigger warnings, which are disclaimers about possibly upsetting material in lesson plans, and that's generating a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, pushback, uh, that people shouldn't be taught, let's say a novel that was written in 1930 or 1940, a Faulkner novel, or some other novel that has uh, recognized, that's recognized as, as a great work of literature, um, that these things shouldn't be taught anymore, A, or B, they should be taught, but there would be a big warning in the front saying, be careful, this, wor- this novel uh, may contain the word, uh, for instance, nigger. And it may have certain uh, descriptions or, let's say, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. It may have certain descriptions of black people which you might find stereotypical and offensive. And uh, if you feel this will be offending to you. And so there's a lot of books that can't be taught. So this is turning out to be a kind of censorship. Uh, There's a backlash. The backlash was exemplified recently in a widely publicized letter sent to new freshmen at the University of Chicago by the dean of students, John Ellison. He warned that the university did not support so-called trigger warnings. We do not cancel invited speakers because their topics might prove controversial, and we do not condone the creation of intellectual safe spaces where individuals can retreat from ideas and perspectives at odds with their own. In other words, if you don't like it, you just have to deal with it. You just have to deal with it And um, in terms of what's being taught. And uh, the university will not disinvite people speaking who other students feel are insulting to them as, uh, like, for instance, there's a whole thing on campus is that a lot of Palestinian students <coughs> and Palestinian people who are sympathetic to Palestinian students in Palestine uh, try to disinvite or try to cancel the budget for inviting um, speakers who may be pro-Israel. And uh, there have been some violence around this, too. Um and uh, there's all kinds of other things in this article, but basically there's an overreaction in the other direction, where on one side you get Trump and his Neanderthals, uh, led by the head Neanderthal, Trump himself, and the other side you get uh, there's so much political correctness that uh, intellectual, crea- you know, intellectual curiosity, and maybe creativity are being stifled. And not only that, and this walks a very fine line, the ability. To decide that uh, you can stand up to bullying and uh, you can defeat bullying without being overprotected by the administration. Uh, One last thing she talked about, and I've had some experience with this, is uh, she was talking about um, racism. And she was somebody, some student asked her about reverse racism. Where they're uh, in a situation where uh, blacks are saying racist things about white or treating uh, whites in a threatening, racist way, and she said, as far as she's concerned, and Miss Marlowe is black. She said that there is no such thing as reverse racism; that you have to be in a minority or marginalized group to uh, to be to be um, you know if you have to be in a marginalized or or uh, a minority group to be treated uh, in a racist way. If you're in a majority group, i.e. white people in any situation, if you're in the majority group in the country, you can't be treated in a racist manner. I know better. I know better. When I worked at BAI radio in New York City, white people were treated in a racist manner. There was racism vicious racism, some of it violent racism sometimes, threats, and sometimes actual physical violent racism at WBAI in New York against white people. And uh, what simply explains that is that the administration of the station had become about 90% black. The people who were in charge of the station were black, and they were very aggressive uh, at one point anyhow. And um, I have no idea what things are like in the last 10, 12 years. I can't speak to that. But when I was there, and in fact, one of the reasons I left was an overwhelming anti-Semitism by black people who ran BAI and also a constant white racism by people who who ran BAI. And it was disgusting. They managed to push people off the air. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I say, I don't know if it still goes on. I hope it doesn't. I have to assume that all these years later, it still it doesn't go on anymore. But it was extremely strong for many, many years. And white people were, um, were uh, threatened and they were pushed off the air. And I called it racism. Racism is racism. If one group of people, they don't have to be the larger group in society. Uh, obviously, uh, blacks are still a small and um, much uh, sinned against uh, race. Uh, if you want to use that word, race in this country. And there is extraordinary racism. America is based on racism. It's a racist country. But there are little pockets here and there where if one group takes charge, um, there was this bizarre thing that happened at one of the biggest museums in New York City. I think it was Museum of Natural History where for one reason or another, uh, um, a group of of, uh, gay women became um, guards uh, at this, and then they got promoted, and they got to be in charge of the guards <laughs> at the Museum of Natural History, and it started discriminating against and making um, kind of uh, sexist remarks against, um, against men or against heterosexual women and, and against um, men. So it's, it's the strangest thing, but it's not so strange. Racism can occur in any group at any time. And uh, I mean, there are people who think affirmative action is a kind of reverse racism. Uh, my daughter uh, was going to a school once, a junior high school in New York City, where the majority of the students were black, and they were picking on the white kids in class. But if you said that, you know, and I had to go, and uh, I was called into the principal's office and said, they actually told me, the principal who was white said in this junior high school, must be something she's doing to incite them. What bullshit? What bullshit? What crap? She was a victim of racism. Racism, racism can occur at any time in any place, depending upon who is the, uh, even if it's very localized, who's the reigning majority? And if they want to be aggressive and they want to be racist about it, they can be that way. Anyhow, so we've got two things here. We've got Trump and his vulgarity and his racism and his, uh, his anti-this and anti-that on one side, and on the other side, You've got a a kind of um, burgeoning political correctness, which is going on all over the country. I'm afraid there's going to be kind of like a civil war. The man says the election is rigged, and and he loses, and he loses. What's going to happen then? If he's already saying it's going to be stolen from him and he loses, there's going to be a lot of incitement to violence. There's going to be government buildings blown up. There's going to be people assassinated. There's going to be a lot of guns in evidence. There's going to be a lot of bad behavior by a lot of people on his side, which is why um, you can't make him do anything, Um, But uh, which is why you have to keep pointing out that what he's doing is extremely dangerous, talking about losing the election before it's even won. All right. I'll see you next week.
1: Fire.